Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. You've got two podcast hosts for the post, price of one, post of one, the price of one this week. You've got me, Matthew Wade, not being able to speak properly because I'm, well, um, useless. And Stephen Bradley is also here, uh, who normally gets to tell you exciting things about me in my absence, but he can tell you uh, embarrassing things about me in my presence. How are you, Stephen? Uh, I'm not too bad. Like I said, there is a chance that Matthew Wade does disappear through this podcast from time to time, just because he's got the far more important task of looking after his firstborn. So if you hear someone, yeah, yeah so if you hear, if, as we speak, yeah, so if you hear someone wailing in the background, yes, that is Matthew looking after his child. Yeah, it will be me. It will be me. And also, we have podcast regular, uh, international globetrotting footballing superstar Anita Sambol here as well, all the way from Croatia, as always. How's tricks hello hello just a little bit tired of long days and hot summer started here in croatia in fall so <laughs> yeah it's been funny watching london kind of come to a grinding halt because we've hit sort of 28 degrees and then you think about <laughs> and you think about anywhere you know around a bit nearer to where you are and it's like 20 degrees ha <laughs> how yeah, here- hot is it in croatia now it was 32 today when I was driving to the office. <laughs> Stephen, who's currently in Ireland, is looking like he's going to expire at the very thought of that. 32, like I said, if, if we got like 25 or 26 at, at night, where it would be when it's 32 during the day, we'd have families escorting their kids out to the beach at four in the morning, going, no, this is never going to happen again, get out. <laughs> you know, we, but no, it's, it's like 60, it's 15 degrees right now in Portage. Like we are 32 and we're like, oh, it's a supernova. Oh, the end, the end is here. It's about time. It's 26 now here and it's uh, almost 9 p.m. And I'm North, North Croatia. So. North Croatia, which is still a fair bit south of both Ireland and England. Definitely. Um, but what I've been told, a very beautiful part of the country. Uh, so when we can, do visit. Oh, and yeah. the person across the road decided to sit the alarm off on a motorbike. And doesn't know how to turn it off. It would, it's, it's been a while, frankly, since a, a, an alarm, whether a police alarm or a bike alarm or any sort of alarm, has interrupted a Matthew Wade hosted <laughs> uh, Daily Canon Weekly podcast. It, it's, it, I've missed it. So a little bit of a, a little bit of familiarity. Has, this has is like a, like a sign uh, for the alarm in Arsenal and the transfers and rumours. And well, it's a sign of something's happening. Which... <laughs> Whether any of it is any good, that's that's the key because you know Tuesday we were looking at this you know the list of topics to talk about in the podcast and we're going hmm you know yours would be nice anything else <laughs> we're like no and then Wednesday morning comes we're like whoa we're, we're one at a time you know they're like London buses they come three at once so would you like to start talking about the ins or the potential outs? Well, I think that alarm may have been for the how much money are we going to spend in the, uh, on an overpriced British player when the European market is totally collapsed and we could pick up <laughs> amazing people for, for much less money on lower wages. That's what really, really annoyed me when I saw the, the Ben White, you, you mean that, right? The, well, and, and the rumours about James Madison as well. And James Madison as well. I mean, and it's just, when I see, I mean, Granny Chuck obviously comes to mind because, you know, he's a really popular, unpopular figure and he's leaving and all of that. And when I, I got really so, so mad at some, some of the Arsenal fans that I've been communicating on Twitter and all that, that go like, oh, I wish he would go just for free, just so we get rid of him. 
and you know 10 million is enough 5 million is enough i mean like look at the prices look at how how much uh, some players are going for how much other clubs are asking for their players who are I, I dare to say far less important for those teams than than Chaka is for us. I mean, when you just look at that, I mean, just on when you put aside the stuff that he does and sometimes uh, doesn't do, and you know, he's still a really good player. And that just you know, you go and see. Uh, yeah, I'm happy with Chaka to go for free just so we get rid of him. And then why don't we spend 50, 60 million on, on James Madison or someone like that? Well, it's also the whole thing of uh, you know, compare, you know, the money that we've received in transfers in recent years to say Chelsea and Liverpool, um, mm. and of course, this is also a fine reminder that selling to Serie A, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't make you know, unless you're selling to Inter Milan or Juventus, you're getting peanuts, kids. That's just the way it works. And inter, inter a broke as it is. Well, inter a broke, yeah, but inter a broke because they've been spending irresponsibly on and off for the last 20 years. <laughs> they sort of spunk all their money and then they're broke for a few years and they get more money and then spunk it all. And, uh... Don't you miss, miss those days when we used to get the same amounts for Song and Vermal and do Barcelona and Hleb and all of that? I mean... Yeah, if only Barcelona still had money to buy, you know, as, <laughs> as we are to Chelsea, Barcelona are to us. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the thing, isn't it? Like, there, like, it's the market as a whole. Like, Anita's right. Like, it doesn't make sense that Granit Xhaka is about to leave Arsenal for fifteen million pounds, and Arsenal are interested in buying Ben White for fifty. Like, yeah. like that. There, but the transfer market just doesn't make sense right now anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. especially with as me and Matthew have discussed in this podcast many times because of our our love of football manager, that bright blue HG box that comes up beside players. And if we are going to be buying players, we're probably going to have to buy a couple of English players because we're going to be getting rid of a whole lot of homegrown players. So is Ben White worth 50 million? Chelsea paid 50 million for Ben Chilwell. We turned down 25 million for Angelie Maitland-Niles. We just turned down 25 million for Emile Smith-Rowe. You know, like it's, it, he doesn't seem to be worth 50, but is he, is he a better pro- long-term prospect than Emile Smith-Rowe? No. No. But how much would you want for Emile Smith-Rowe? Well, I mean, much more than 25. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but that's me. That's me. But you're, you'd, you'd be talking 50. Mm. You know, so 50 million for Ben White then suddenly doesn't become too much. It's a lot, but in the current market with where you're trying to buy, it's kind of a fair, it's a fair price. So Brexit prices for Brexit League. Yes, yes, that's that's exactly it. But Arsenal find themselves in a position where the players they are selling, Bellerin, homegrown, probably Maitland-Niles, homegrown, Willock, homegrown, Eddie and Ketia, homegrown. Like we've mentioned this before, we have to replace them. It's been an issue for a while now. Yeah, and you know, they used to have far too too many competitive one else, and they one by one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so selling those and replacing them with someone like Ben White, I wouldn't be against, to be perfectly honest with you. Ben White is a fantastic um, prospect as a centre back. Like he was superb for Leeds in the championship and he was really good for Brighton this year and he's 23. You know, the so, problem is, is that Ben White plays in the back three mostly for uh, for, for Brighton. Which he is does. Not we're playing anymore. But also more importantly that uh, 
we're quite well stocked for centre halves, and of course have one of the most promising young central defenders in world football mm. uh, returning from loan from Nice. So, I mean, like Will we you, start think, on that topic. I mean, there's been so much talk about that as well. Maybe later on. <laughs> no, 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 no. It it they they key in together. Like if you buy Ben White, you have to sell Saliba. You have to yes. because well, Rob Holding. <laughs> That's again homegrown. Right? Yeah. Like, and then you get to the stage where if you keep holding, you keep Saliba, you bring in Ben White, well, then you've got, you know, Gabriel and Pablo, Pablo Mari. Like, that seems one too many for me, especially with Callum Chambers playing right back. Like, how many centre-backs do you want? Yeah, True. And then you sell one or two, and then three of them get injured at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's have it, to be a little smart. Here. And before you know yeah. it, El, El Neni is starring as the as the new Barese. Yeah, we won't have Chaka to you know fill in as, at those positions as well. <laughs> but Ben Ben White played. He plays right centre back in a three. He can play in a four as the right side centre back. He can play right back. And he's done a little bit of defence midfielder. Although whether we want to wade into, can he play as a defence midfielder? I've had I just had Thomas Vermaal and flashbacks and PTSD <laughs> from ten years ago. Wait, maybe he can play as a defence. And it's, but it, he's a very, 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 very talented footballer. Ben White is. And if Arsenal needed a centre back, I would be all over this. I'd be like, yes, please, absolutely, fits the bill. He's someone that he's not. Except he's not exceptional in the air. He is your if you were thinking about Koscielny and Mertesacker, he's Koscielny. Mm-hmm. He's the lad who runs after the ball, he's the lad who passes the ball, he's the lad who's more progressive than the ball. So that means you need a Mertesacker beside him. The problem we have is that Gabriel is Koscielny. Saliba is Koscielny. You know, we've got a lot of players who go after the ball. We don't have anyone really, apart from Mary, now that David Luiz is gone, to sit back and read the game. So is this a case of us just buying the best English centre-back we can because all the other ones are just out of our price range? Or is it just we are going to be selling a lot more players than we think we're going to be selling, and as a result, we are going to be buying with a little bit higher bracket than we think we are? Well, it's also interesting that the only other team that have been really linked to buying Ben White are Man City, who has as have even well have as many centre halves as us, but of a slightly higher quality. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, he would probably be what fourth, fifth choice centre half for Man City. Yeah, easily. You know, like, like when America Laporte can't get a game, and Nathan Ake is sitting on their bench. You know, like well, they, think, they think Ake was purely a quota exercise and nothing else. Wasn't oh it? yeah, of course. But he was really good for Bournemouth the year before. Like they they brought him in for forty million, and then two weeks before the the, the transfer window ends, Ruben Diaz is available. Let's see if he's good. Lamau. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's it's I I understand where because there's a lot of people making the point that Arsenal fans, like Anita said earlier. It's one thing we've been saying for, God knows, six, seven, eight years now, spend some effing money. Mm-hmm. And here we are now on the precipice of spending some effing money and we're all going, ah, actually, now hold on for a second. You know, we all, now we all have shopper's remorse. Now we're like, ah, do we have to spend it on that lad? Like we see a gaping hole in centre midfield and attacking midfield yeah. where we could do with someone that's 40, 50 million worth of talent. 
And yet we're buying in a place where most of us are comfortable with who we have. If you would say that our four centre-backs going into the season are Saliba, Holding, Gabriel and Pablo Mari. I don't think too many Arsenal fans would be upset with that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, I, I suppose the, the, the feeling is, is that, you know, with David Luiz going and <laughs> Scrollin Mustafi going, mm. um, that there's a lot of centre-halves there who have, have a fair bit to prove. I mean, Gabriel said he's one season in England, he's still pretty young. He's had some great runs of form. He's had periods where he's gone off the boil a bit. Pabamari is unproven in England. Rob Holding's proven to a certain point, but appears to have a ceiling. He's very good, excellent in a deep block, but not 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 really someone he wants as a high line. Mm-hmm. And you've got Saliba, who for all his excellence in France, has not kicked a ball in England, apart from pre-season friendlies or playing the under-23s. Um, so... I suppose the desire of having someone that you just feel confident can can cope with the English league is, is quite a strong one. But then again, that does make the question is, you're, Ben White is someone who, again, is relatively inexperienced. So you're sort of adding a certain degree of certainty, but still a fair amount of risk. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, you only buy him if you think that he's like going to be the English Cannavaro or something like that. Yeah. It's basically at that level that he's a, someone you can't miss out on. We already have the English Cannavaro, right? <laughs> no, he's better, he's better, <laughs> he's better than Cannavaro. He's better than Cannavaro. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just to be clear. Yeah, but, and it, you just think of the when Arsenal sent the offer for Emil Smith Rowe, a lot of us uh, and the media and all instantly thought uh, this definitely means that they are willing to sell Jack Grealish or are you know, in negotiations already. And, and yeah. when we go out with an offer of 50 million. I mean, it was 40 or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for Ben White. Then you instantly think we are probably getting rid of someone for bigger money. And, and many, many of fans thought William Saliba and then all the outrage, all the talk and all that. As you said, imagine he hasn't kicked the ball in England and he was a really good prospect and still is. He's one of the biggest talents in, in that uh, that uh, area of the pitch you know, in the whole Europe. And we, yeah. it's tough to say, are we willing to give him a chance at all? Or are we you know, just trying to gain some some uh, funds for other signings? It's uh, I would still really want to see him get a proper chance. That's the thing. You, you, want, yeah. you want to see him given a chance. Yeah. So do I. Like he was excellent for Nice, excellent team of the year. Yeah, and he he has one glaring weakness in his game. He has Colo Torres genes for heading. <laughs> you know, it can go anywhere, and he usually doesn't win them. Like it's now for a lad who's six three, six four, you'd think, oh my god, surely he must be good. Nope. And in the English game, that's a problem. Like it is. Like as much as we want to diminish, you know. Players that you know deficiencies for yeah, and you know accentuate their talents for a centre back in English game to not be able to head the ball, it, it's it's a problem because what will happen? Just every team will just launch balls at his head like it. So can they? No, Gabriel is really good, but the thing is that Ben White is worse. <laughs> you know, like as as Matthew said, he plays in a three. His job is to get the second ball. You know, he's got Lewis Dunk and and the, and the likes, and you know, playing beside him. You know, two, three, six foot four lads. You know, his job is not to jump for the ball. His job is to look where it's going and almost collect the rebound as a basketball player. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fit and it's who who you get in. Saliba's a right-sided... He's a right-footer that likes to play on the left. We've got two left-footers. It's 
until the dust settles, until we see who we have, we're going to be faced with prospects like this where we look at a player and go, hmm, maybe. You know, like, and it, we almost have to trust Arsenal right now. We almost have to go, right, okay, this is the... And that's the problem, as Anita's little <laughs> chuckle might have might have intimated. They haven't got much of that right now. Not, a, not at all. So we don't know how... If we knew how much they had to spend, that would allay a lot of people's concerns. Like, if Arsenal had, say, 40 million plus sales and they're spending 50 million on Ben White, everyone would be going, uh-oh, that's a lot. That, that's a lot of your kitty on one lad. Mm-hmm. Yet, if it's 70 million and and signings, now you're looking at it going, okay, well, if that's 70 million plus Willock, plus Bellerin, plus Mavropanos, plus Inketia, like there's 110, 120, and suddenly you're like, okay, 50 million on a, on a, on a, on a really good centre-back doesn't feel too bad anymore. You know, like, so... It's one that we won't be able to judge until the summer is over, but right now it just seems a little bit much. I mean, it's that thing of because I, I guess, as you say, most observers don't see it as an obvious priority, um, mm. given some of the more glaring priorities, which obviously the club has been working on, judging by the fact that the players have been linked with. And of course, uh, the next one of those that has emerged in the last couple of days is. James Madison Esquire, Leicester City, for a reported, uh, I mean, who knows whether these things are true or not, but reported estimate of about £60 million. Apparently, Arsenal made a similar bid for him last summer that was rejected, is, is, the, is the story during the rounds. Um, I mean, what do we what do we think? I mean, I've you know I've I've read quite a lot of statistical analysis and um, you know uh, particularly comparing him and to others in his position and also him like this season just gone to the previous season. I mean, I've got my own thoughts, but I'll hold fire with those for a moment. What what's what's your impression, Anita? I think that I would be more comfortable comfortable spending that much on a player like like him in a position that we definitely need to feel then on a defender and I think that he is a Premier League proven player he's been playing in a really good team and that didn't look bad at all and we have been interested in him for a while now as you said already I if that's the price I think I would be more okay you know I'm really not a fan of spending big on a single player at ever but as you already both said it's it's the kind of market it's the what you pay basically for for a british passport if you would say that and i would be okay with spending that much on a player because it's in a position that we definitely need and with all of that that he had he brings with him as well what's your thoughts Stephen? um pass and it's not because he's not good he's an excellent footballer but He's injury prone, number one. You know, like he missed a lot of games for Leicester last year and especially up until the end of the season. And if they're selling it, like for 60 million, you want someone that's going to be at least reliable and you can pick. You know, it's the biggest mistake Arsenal have made for, and most clubs made when they're buying big money, especially when it's a name like Madison, who is a big name. It's can he replicate his form for a different team? And it's like, I'm not sure. I have two, and it's 60 million. When somehow our is there for 30. Like that's like if you are buying Ben White and you are buying a couple of other English lads for, you know, for homegrown player, you can afford to have one non-EU or non-homegrown player. 
And if it's a choice between Aouar for six for 30 or Madison for 60, I don't think it's a debate. I don't think it's a debate at all. So it's one of those... Think here that you said that uh, you're not sure if he could replicate his form for another team. But do you think that Aouar would be easy to adapt to the to Premier League? I think just the way we... The way Leicester play is very counter-attack based. Very counter-attack based. And... He does a lot more defending than you think, but not enough. Like Smith Rowe as a 10 doesn't defend enough and he defends more than Madison does. Madison's key is finding space and then getting the ball to Vardy as quickly as he can. And if he does that, he will get hauled off the pitch immediately by Arteta. So it's it's whether he's a good fit for the team. Our, our, the thing about our, our I like is that he could play as an eight as well. Like if he's good enough defensively to play as a box to box beside party party or as a number 10 and then buy another box to box to play beside party and then have three in midfield, like our are for that money. It's, it's very much a case of what I, what I can get for that sort of money. Like mm. see again, Madison is probably worth 60 million, but I'd rather Spurs spent it. <laughs> you know, that way, like if I'd That's rather someone, lot, else, yeah. you know, like, like if it was Mason Mount, I bring him on because I can see that Mount can play in a whole lot of different positions. Madison needs to play as a 10. Like even with Smith Rowe, as some of us have complained over, he gets played on the left sometimes, he gets played on the right a little bit, but he can. Madison's a 10 and mm. he's a really, really good 10, but for 60 million, uh, I, I want, would you take Odegaard or, or Madison for 60 million? Hmm. Like that's the thing. Like there's mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot more players coming up for sale over the course of the summer as bigger clubs and bigger clubs try to somehow get rid of wages. And I just feel that I don't think there's going to be a caliber of defender like Ben White available for fifty million for another couple of years. However, I think you're gonna find players like James Madison throughout Europe for half that price coming out of the woodwork over the next year or two. So I think up front, I, not, not that I say we're grand, we definitely need one more body in there, but if the plan is at some stage to make Emile Smith-Rowe your number 10, Martinelli your left wing, Saki your right wing, and whoever you want up front, up front, then spending 60 million on a replacement of one of those three doesn't sit well with me yet. I mean, I guess there's two other questions here. One is, you know, is this uh, with an eye to the mythical 4-3-3 that... Uh, Arteta in an interview some time ago said it was ideal, but he didn't have the players to play it at Arsenal. You know, is Madison, because of his ability to play slightly deeper than just as number 10, is that something that's been considered for that position? Um, because as, as you say, for a pure number 10, there are definitely more affordable options for greater effectiveness throughout Europe. I mean, you know, I'd be much more interested in talking to Roma about Pellegrini or, yes. or Zaniolo, if Zaniolo yeah. is back to being fit. Pellegrini, because he's always available and it's just very consistent, not not as not as sprinkled with stardust, but he's, he's a, a very good glue player with some end product. And Zaniolo, because if he can stay fit, he's a potential, like, wow player. Yeah. Um, but he's not even the best Leicester player. Like, like if you were giving me 60 million to buy one Leicester player, I'd buy Tielman's. Hmm. Yeah, he'd be perfect for that number eight role, and he could play as a ten if you needed him at times. 
The other, thing, the other thing about uh, medicine is uh, I'll give some credit uh, to uh, the LaGrove website that uh, it's obviously been around for donkey's years. Uh, this one is uh, some analysis by uh, Adam Voge, at Adam Voge, you know, for anyone that's on Twitter, who's based on a shitload of statistical analysis about Madison and compared to other players in his position. And basically, uh, for this last season, um, he there's quite a few that are better than him. Hakan Chenaloglu, who's leaving Milan on a, on a Bosman and, and appears not to have had his next move lined up. There's uh, Malinowski at Atalanta, the mm. diminutive left footer with a with a, a foot like a like a traction engine, as the phrase goes. Uh, but also uh, in in uh, categories including uh, ball pressure, ball carrying and security, and passing shot creation. Uh, uh, James Madison's season per game is also considerably worse than one Henrik <coughs> Mkhitaryan. Yes. Uh, the disposal of whom I never agreed with um, and has actually had a very good season for Roma, admittedly in a in a less challenging league. Um, now, but, but Madison did have a significantly better season the previous season. Yes, yes. Um, so again, it's that... Are you buying? Are you interested in him in the hope that, on based on what he was previously, and in the belief that that's something that can be easily replicated, or is it the player that you see now and that impl- that affects your judgment? And and for me, the reason I, it's not a deal that appeals to me, even though it's, I'm not going to cry into my beer if it happens, is just because stylistically I don't. And quite apart from Leicester's counter-attacking, he's not really a, a quick interchange player. I mean, he can do a bit of that, but he's 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 a bit more of a, a bit more of a moments player. He, he's mm. a bit he's a bit sort of like a, a different, very different player, but a bit a bit Pogba-esque in that respect. In that he's not going to run the game for you. He's not going to be the oil in your engine, but he will do brilliant things. Um, and of course. We will like players that can do brilliant things. Um, but I think our squad might be a bit too skewed towards players that can do brilliant things without being the oil in the engine in terms yeah. of makeup. You know, you look at people like Pepe. Obviously, Saka and, and Smith Rowe have addressed that balance a lot this season. But but I guess so much depends on what the plan is deeper in midfield. Uh, you know, yes. I mean, there's so many people we've been linked to. It's the Ruben Neves thing is still still going around. There's this um guy from Andelect um Lokanka, who's like, really good. He's yeah, who looks really, like a, really good. And that all the all the talk seems to suggest that that one's quite likely, because uh, it because there's definitely been bids and there's still discussions ongoing, apparently. Um but also there's still the Basuma thing, but all of those players represent something different tactically. Mm. Some of them could work with a Madison, and some of them couldn't. And and of course, we know that Arsenal love letting information leak to newspapers, to as smoke screens as well as actual uh, information. And we also know that selling clubs, you know, if, if Leicester City worried about Madison, then you know, if they say that Arsenal are putting in a sixty million pound bids for him, that's a way of drumming up some interest, isn't it? So, um, yeah. uh, so there's, I mean, as we've said before, there's so many unanswered questions because we don't really know what Arteta wants to do. Like he abandoned the back three. He went, went back to the four, two, three, one, uh, that worked. But then at the same time last season, he said his ideal was the four, three, three, you know, whether that's Guardiola, whether that's Ajax, whether that's some hybrid version of the two, whether it's a bit more Liverpool, we don't know. Um, and, we're, and so we're all sitting here trying to make this analysis and going, 
well, if he wants to play this system, then he might prefer this player, depending on which other player comes in that position, which we know there's going to be someone coming in, but we don't know who it is because we linked with about six and mm. they're all quite different. And, you know, because obviously if, you, if, if someone like Basuma turns up, he's a proper defensive midfielder. He's a ball winner, uh, someone who snuffs out fires. He's a, he's a budget Kante without, without being as good on the ball. Um, so that, but that's, 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 but if you're buying Ruben Neves for that role, you're after something very different. Um, and of course, if you're buying, if you're buying Basuma, then maybe Madison makes more sense as an attacking eight slash 10. But if you're buying Ruben Neves, then he actually, his, some of his strengths are also some of Madison's strengths. And so you're getting two players who are stylistically overlapping and will occupy some of the same areas of the pitch so much. So, yeah. um, and we end up buying Ramsey. <laughs> Ar- <laughs> to cover it off. Bring back Rambo, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he did, did really well for Wales. Uh, well, I, I was going to bring that later because I thought you'd have appreciate it, Anita. Uh, but uh, yeah, and as I tweeted, you know, very happy for me. He's had a couple of tricky years at Juventus. Um, but uh, he's a big game player. Uh, and yeah. uh, big playing game players do things in big games, a- aka the Aaron Ramsey trademark. Um, uh, obviously, hoping that Wales do well in a tournament just so he can once again score at Wembley and point, This is my fucking pitch. <laughs> 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 just because of the, the shits and of that. Um, also, but, you know, frankly, if we're going to spend 60 million on a player, then I, I want to be pushing the boat out and doing everything in my power to convince. Camavinga from Ren. Good luck. Good luck with that. Yeah, he's going to be at Arsenal to, as that stepping stone between between the club he's at and yeah. the uber elite level he wants to be at. Because I yeah. think he wants a stepping stone club. So I'm like me, me, sir. I'll be your stepping stone. Uh, let me be your stepping stone. I don't mind if you fuck off in four years for like 150 million. That's fine by me. Just please, please, please. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Like it's. It, that's on that is definitely in the cards you know like he is looking at Erling Haaland and going oh that's actually something that might work you know Dortmund are very very happily you know letting him basically shop himself around Europe because all he's doing is driving up the price every time he scores mm-hmm. so you know like Camerving is looking at that and his agents are doing that and his family are looking at that and going hmm maybe because that's what Mbappe was doing yeah, for sure. Mbappe had every major club in his literally in his living room. That's why Arsene Wenger went. Yeah. You know, that was when he was sixteen. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and then PSG went. Oh, we'll we'll give you one hundred and sixty million. Record like fine, you know, like so. It's babe, that might end up being you know Arsenal might put up their hand and go right, we'll take you. But he's a he's another number eight. It's it all depends on where Arteta sees Thomas Party playing. Like, that's the million-dollar question. Is he a six? Is he a four? Is he an eight? What is he? And he left Atletico Madrid because they were playing him as a four. Yeah. You know, like, they, they left they, he left there because he was playing DM and he wanted to play box-to-box. So if the idea of bringing in party for a lot of money is to not play him in the position they told him to, yeah, you know, that's a bit of a worry. But if you are going to play him as a box-to-box, then you need someone to do his running. You know, he's coming as the big, the big cheese, the big dog, the big man in the midfield. You know, we're we're asking ourselves, you know, who do we want to play as that box to box midfielder that joins the attack to defence? And Thomas Partey joined Arsenal directly to do that. Hmm. So, I would like to. I'd be a lot 
interested, a lot more interested in spending that 60 million on Bissouma and Lukonga and having the three in the mid midfield. And there's your three because Bissouma is a little better on the ball that people give him. Yes, he would be the most defensive minded of the three. Lukonga is basically a young party. You know, his, his ball progression stats are excellent. He's bought his, his interception stats are excellent. Yes, he's raw. And yes, he'd be almost being brought in, he'd be brought, brought in as a backup to Thomas Party in that role because good Lord, we needed one last season because every time he was out, I'm going to play El Nenny the same. It'll be grand. And it wasn't grand. We'll do Danny Ceballos. Oh, yes, <laughs> that worked. So he would be basically Party's backup and then occasionally play with him and then sort it out from there. And, you know, there's your 60 million. I, I'd much rather on two really good midfielders that could that could add immediately and take the pressure off party a little bit and go, right, you create. And there's your three. And now you've got a, a question of, well, what three do you want up front? You know, so that that would be, if you talk about allocations of funds, that would be how I'd like them to split it. Like there are, you can buy really good midfielders for 30 or 40. I don't think Madison is worth pushing the boat out for. Well, as I said, for me, if you're going to spend 60 million on a midfielder, you do everything in your power to see if Mr. Kemavinga wants to mm. just because I think he's whichever club he's going to go to, if he stays fit, he's going to, he's going to be transformative. I mean, he's, you yeah. know, I, I've, I, even with the, the joys of Fabregas, uh, I've not seen a central midfielder that good at that age at as many different things. Like he can play as a defensive midfielder. He can play as a number eight. He can, Fit in as a number ten to a reasonable degree. His his combination of passing, tackling, and ball carrying is like drool worthy. He 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 is Kante and Fabrias. He could be that good. He could be. He could be if he continues to progress. Yeah, which is silly, but that's like I said. I've seen him a couple of times, and you've seen him a couple of times. He there's he does nothing wrong. Well, I mean, he, he hasn't. His season this season hasn't been quite as good as his breakout season. No, but they're asking him to do a bit more, and he is seventeen. He's learning on the job, like you know, like it's. But the only per, the only person I've seen that has like control over the ball in midfield like him in the last few years was Frankie De Jong, who, if you're watching him for Holland, the ball almost hugs his foot. Yeah, it doesn't bounce off it. It's stupid how much time he has on the ball all the time. The ball comes up to him and he just touches it and it's there right in his sweet spot every time. But Camarillo is quicker and stronger. And yeah. And noisily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the thing. You know, like it's, it would be unbelievable. But yeah, those would, you de- if Arsenal have 60 millions burning a hole in their pocket last day, last day of the transfer window and they get Madison, then, yeah, that, like I, it would be a desperate call. It'd be desperate times calling for desperate measures. But I, I don't think James Madison is plan A. I'll put it that way. I would be disappointed if James Madison is plan A. If he's plan C or D, fine, because we need all the help we can get. But no, I, it, I suppose it's the time. I'm disappointed to hear that we're after him so soon in the transfer window, that he's that high up the transfer list, if indeed this is a legitimate report whether it's not Leicester trying to throw his name out, like you said, Matthew, trying to fly, fly something up the, up, the, up the flagpole and see who bites. I mean, and another homegrown transfer rumour of a disappointing nature is the links to Aaron Ramsdale, the recent relegated Sheffield United goalkeeper, who was previously the recently relegated Bournemouth goalkeeper, who makes a lot of saves, 
But uh, pass water. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> right, 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 that's, he's like the goalkeeper that if he continues improving, you might buy him in three or four years. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I guess after the Runer Runerson debacle, we're all going. So this goalie coach is recommending someone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and look, yeah. Matt Matt Ryan was probably going to sign and be the number two until Celtic uh, literally pulled the, the former Australian head coach. Uh, Pot to take. I can't pronounce. I, it. I've absolutely <laughs> but, I've absolutely butchered his name, but Postecoglou. That's who it is. Mm-hmm. It's my job. You think I should know it, especially with Celtic being such an Irish club. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah yeah Ange Ange uh, Postecoglou, who is now Celtic coach, who is Australian. So like, and Celtic need a goalkeeper badly. And get it, and Celtic like doing things even more on the cheap than Arsenal do. So Matt Ryan rocking up there for nothing fits into their wheelhouse quite nicely. So yeah, I think that that ship might have sailed as well. But again, it depends. We're getting that uh, Ajax uh, goalkeeper, right? Well, but in what October? Uh, he's able to train in September. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, he's able to train in September. He'd be free November the third. There is some competition there. Some French teams apparently making him offers, and there's also mm. other British teams sniffing around. But we don't know who those are, so we don't know if they're people that we need to worry about. I mean, someone did say that it would be a sensible option for Chelsea if if they wanted to go that way, because um, obviously, imagine as damaged goods, and their new goalkeeper is like not quite as good as that. Yeah, seventy-two million on a goalkeeper. Yeah, particularly one that for one that everyone wanted. Like, like we can we can we can laugh at Chelsea now, but when they bought Kepper Ariza Balaga for seventy two million, everyone went, "Yep, bastard." <laughs> he he was he was brilliant. He was absolutely sensational. And then he gets to Chelsea and is like, "Oh, I've left my gloves at home." Oh no! Like <laughs> that's the thing. Even even in Spain, I always thought there's a guy with a lot of gifts, but. There's just something a little bit flaky about his temperament. And, yeah. I mean, I, I expected things to go better for, for him at Chelsea. Um, but, like, he wasn't someone like, say, Courtois, that, like, as soon as you saw him playing, you know, in a top league, you're like, oh, this guy's... this guy's yeah. in a- Or De Gea. Or, or De Gea or Donnarumma. Yeah. One of those who, like, you, you see at 21, you're like, okay, unless this guy gets lots of injuries, he's going to be an elite goalkeeper, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, the what- De Gea's first season at United was... Littered Shaking. with mistakes, yeah. But but and then every three weeks he'd pull a save like straight out of the top corner. You're like, Jesus Christ, he's good, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what saved him almost. It's like they, you could still see there was a keeper there, but immediately Kepa gets to Chelsea, and you're like, why? You know, like, like I say, if you hadn't seen him before, they, oh, this is the world's most expensive goalkeeper. And from day one, you're looking at him going, he's shaking in his goal. <laughs> you know, he's not like it's. It was bizarre, and like you said, now he's damaged goods to the point that they might not like could they sell him now it, it makes me it makes me wonder is how much the price tag influences the the players because i mean you can see similar stuff with pepe the pressure on his price tag and everyone keeps keeps talking about that you know when you think pepe you first think his price tag mm. and that's definitely oh, no, his, his, his full name is 72 million pound Nicholas pepe <laughs> yeah that is his full Christian name. <laughs> that definitely has some inf- influence on, on players and their mentality and how they, especially when they come from different leagues and you expect a lot of them because they are like stars in those leagues and then they come here and you pay so much for, for them and you expect them to perform right away to, you know, 
get the, the money's worth and all of that. It's just a... Yeah, I mean, particularly for players like the ones you mentioned, like Kepa and Pepe, players who also they hadn't had experience of going anywhere their expectation before. You know, Kepa had come up through the ranks at his club and Pepe had basically bounced around a little bit in France without really putting up any trees until until suddenly it clicked for him. And it's a, it's a big thing moving from like an environment you're comfortable in, you've, you've kind of developed yourself there to then suddenly having to go somewhere where the entire world's like, right, are you any good? Let's watch. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you've gone from maybe having a, a few million people around the world maybe watching your games or maybe or maybe even less than that, maybe a few hundred thousand people around the world watching your games to suddenly be playing in the, the biggest league in the world with this expectation of having to hit the ground running. You've got all those adaptation issues and you're and like you're not you're not walking out in some pissy ground with like twenty thousand fans now kids, you know <laughs> everyone's everyone's watching and you're even aware of them in your immediate variety. It's a you know and of course some people that that's what makes them fire and they immediately go up a level. And for other people, it, it does take an adjustment. And not everyone can adjust to it because yeah. pressure is a mental thing. And, and as you that's, say, the price tag will always a- apply greater pressure, even though people try and you know dismiss it. That's just the on-field. Like it's when you turn from, like I said, you turn from, you know, Lille right winger, Nicholas Pepe, who's on, 10 grand a week, 12 grand a week, you know, in and around that, which is a hell of a lot of money. You know, let's not get this capitalist a little bit <laughs> misunderstood. But when you, you know, multiply that by 10 mm-hmm. and now you are a superstar, now you walk into a shop and everyone knows who you are and everyone expects you to buy everything and everyone expects you to be a su- to look the part, be the part and act the part. And you know, like half the reason Alexis actually went to London because he knew he could hide. You know, like like, he, like everyone said, oh, he wants to go to a big city. And he's like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he wants to go to a big city because there's a lot of people there. You know, Mesut Ozil, the most famous, you know, German slash Turkish man in the world. Where did he go every Tuesday? Golders Green. <laughs> Why? Because he knew he could hide. You know, like it's people react differently to different circumstances. And, and we ex- we have such high expectations, as I need to say, from, oh, we, they paid how much for him? He must be good. And then as soon as he slips, it's, ah, oh, Jesus, why'd they pay that? It's, but it rarely happens to the degree that it happened with Ke- Kepa. You know, and Pepe is, last year, if you had said Pepe was worth 72 million, you'd have been absolutely, you know, laughed out of a room. You would say, how much is he worth? And you'd be like, 20, 25. Now it's, it's like his performances are the same. It's closer. It's, I wouldn't say you'd like no one's going to pay 70 million from now, but his performances, especially in the second half of the season, what was it? Started 13, scored nine, set up four. Yeah. Like, how much more do you want from the lad? So, you'd be more than 70 million. <laughs> yes. That's true. Yes. Yeah. We'd be saying he's the next Phil Foden. You know, like, <laughs> but, but that's my point. Like, you know, like if he has another season like the end of this season, and if Arsenal have another season like the end of this season, then. Mm-hmm. A lot of the pressure is gone because he'll have, he'll have justified the hype, the price tag raised. But yeah, like I said, Arsenal need help. They need a lot of it. And is this the start of it or is this all of it? Like everyone is worried. Everyone is projecting into the future. They're saying, oh, they're only going to get White and Madison. You know, they still need a number 10, maybe a number eight. God knows where they're going to get right back out of. You know, like, like, like. There's the guy from. There's the guy from Leipzig that's. Been, is it Leipzig that's been linked? The American. 
Uh, Ty, uh, yeah, Tyler, oh, Adams. Tyler Adams, yeah, but they don't want to sell him, like B- because they're BFFs with uh, ESR. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's a lot of like, all decent fullbacks, right backs especially, mm. are all massive prices now because there's so there's so few of them. You well, know, and except except for Chelly Cat of Lille, who's having a, a Euros that is tanking his value. <laughs> yeah. But even even in the stage where it's got to the stage now where Kieran like Atletico Madrid are demanding 40, 50 million for Kieran Trippier. Yeah. <laughs> and and like he's probably worth it. <laughs> like, like if he can play left back and right back for England, then yeah, he's probably worth it. Now is he the best right back? If he was what? four years younger, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's the state of fullbacks in the world right now where also the state of knowing who your buyers are. Because Atletico Madrid would not be putting that price tag on him if he was not English being pursued by English clubs. It's like, oh, Manchester United want to buy him. Oh, Manchester United yeah. having a slight problem with homegrown players. They don't, uh, though. That's the thing with United. The United are about to buy Jaden Sancho. <sighs> so they're going to, yeah, so they're going to have Luke Shaw, yeah. uh, Luke Shaw, who's homegrown, uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, yeah. And then they're going to have a front five of Pogba, who's homegrown. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like Fernandez, who isn't. And then Rash, a main front three of Rashford, Greenwood and Sancho. Dean Henderson, of course. Well. <laughs> there you go. You know, like, the last <laughs> thing they need think, is yeah. £40 million on, on on Kieran Trippier. So I hope they spend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're playing the Pep, fullback, Pep Guardiola fullback game, only on the right side rather than the left. Although, how, how much do you think Harry Kane swore when he saw the fixture list Wednesday morning? <laughs> Game one, City. He's like, oh, well, that now, now they're definitely, because immediately, you know, he'll have saw, Gareth Bale must have texted him going, lol, <laughs> you're, not getting, <laughs> you're not moving till August now. <laughs> like, it, it's... Well, also, like, you know, St. Harry's going to take us far enough in Euros that he won't be fit. He'll have to be on still on the day in August, won't he? Yeah. Bish, bash, bosh. Yeah. Southgate for the win and all that. Um, would, I just want would, to touch on someone else that had done something at the Euros has been linked to Arsenal, although slightly more tenuously, which is Isaac, the Swedish centre-forward, who initially was at... Uh, was he at Malmo, I think? And then he went yeah, but now he's at Sociedad. Uh, and yeah, he didn't get a game at Dortmund basically because he was bought for Tuchel when Tuchel didn't want him, so Tuchel didn't play him, so they had to sell him, and then Tuchel resigned. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's gone to Sociedad and rebuilt his career there, and obviously uh, is is a striker of rawness but exceptional raw mm-hmm. gifts. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, his uh, showing against Spain, even though he didn't score, did not do his transfer value any harm. Although, of course, he's got a release clause of about 60 million. So mm. uh, if someone wants to pay that, they can. I don't think it's going to be us. No. <laughs> no. So again, not, depending on what's happening with Lacazette as well, it will influence things. But Yeah. Well, I think it's looking more and more likely that we're going to still have both Lacazette and Labamiak at the club next year. It's been quiet a bit. Yeah, I mean, have you heard a single rumor about Lacazette? Going no, you, no. There's been lots of stories about Arsenal would like to sell Lacazette before he's coming. <laughs> Not a single story about someone would like to buy Lacazette. <laughs> no, and that's. I'm not saying it's a problem, but like it's. Yeah. You know that that's gonna that's gonna hugely restrict any plans Arsenal have for buying anyone of a forward nature because, Bamiang is still there and Lacazette is still there and you've just convinced Fulham Balogun 
to stay. So, yeah, I mean, if Lacazette, if you can't sell Lacazette, then you don't buy a striker. It yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. What about the rumours that Nketiah is getting a new contract? Well, uh, lo- lol. <laughs> offered a new contract. Yes. Whether, whether he chooses to sign it, that's a contract which is very much in the club's interest. Rather yeah. than interest. We'd, like, we'd like to offer you a, a new contract. So we can sell you for our investment. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you don't sign the new contract, you'll get a lot more money from whoever you move. Ooh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we love you and we want you to stay. We believe you're the centre forward of the future. Ha-ha! <laughs> um, yeah. What, what do you think he would do with that contract paper? Oh. Um, <laughs> Maybe he's still... Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be wiping something with it, Anita. But I don't think it's his face. Maybe, maybe it's uh, referring to maybe John Henry will ask again what they're smoking at the Emirates. Yeah, like it is not in Eddie and Ketty's interest at all to yeah. sign that contract unless it's a wage rise, and if it's a wage rise, we're mad. Yeah. Well, depending on how big a wage rise. Uh, no, if <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's one of those ones where if Plus Balog- a penny? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> add one pound to it and say that no, it's look, it's a shame. It's a trying shame that it didn't work out, but it hasn't worked out. Mm-hmm. And you know, as Joe Willock has found, it if you go on loan, good God, you do you need to go to the right club. Yeah. And in Ketty didn't. You know, in Ketty got an ab read. I, I, as much as we wanted to work for him with Bielsa, he's not a Bielsa striker at all. So, you know, it's it's in his interest to basically hope Arsenal sell him. You know, and I, how much, like, realistically, for a lad with 12 months left in his contract? I know he's young and he's you put him in a decent side, he's probably worth 12, 15 Premier League goals a season, but... Well, you know, the, the, the days of 20... Yeah, it depends who's selling. If it's Liverpool yeah. selling, then you can get nearly 30 million of your English pounds. Mm-hmm. 25 million for Jordan Ibe. <laughs> well, same for Rianne Brewster. Yeah, 50 million for the total. Uh, uh, and how many Premier League goals between? I believe, it, believe it's one. Yeah. <sighs> good business, good business. Yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, how much did we get for... No, let's not go there. No, let's not go there. <laughs> Yeah, the transfer business has been really rubbish for a few seasons. <laughs> that's what needs to change. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what needs to change. It's not who we're buying, it's who we're selling. You know, it's if Mavropanos Louis leaves for seven between million, seven about. million, you're looking yeah. at it going, that's a little low. You know, if Gwendozi goes for between ten and fifteen, that's not bad. You know, so it's it'll depend on how much this like Bellerin goes, Willick goes. You start totting this up in your head, Maitland Niles goes, there's the guts of 70, 80 million to be met there. And if Arsenal are left with 45, that's a player. You know, that 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 35 million pound is a player that's missing. So mm. it's not just on the buying side that Arsenal need to be really, really good this year. They have to be better almost selling their players. And, you know, so do far, you not so good. Come to those, do you trust uh, those in charge to do good business, good deals? And I'm really not too confident. Well, well I, I suppose the, the answer to that question is: is which sticks in your mind more, uh, William or Gabriel Martinelli? Which of those two transfers? 
yeah. greater reason for judgment, you know. Yeah. And also, you know, Gabriel made lies, you know. Do you think that was a great deal? Or do you think that was an okay deal? You know, mm -hmm. uh, of course, most people, for most people, Willian is the front row centre because it's high profile uh, and, uh, um, and has been <laughs> disastrous <laughs> without any shadow of a doubt. Uh, although if he buggers off this summer, then it won't be disastrous. Um, well, as we said in the pod last week with our awards, like, yes, the William contract, you know, bringing what proved to be disastrous. But at the time, we all thought, yeah, decent, good backup, left wing, right wing. Yes, it's a lot of money, but we paid nothing for him. You know, it's good business. You know, most of us would have done the same thing at the time. It's just his form disappeared off the cliff. The big one for me was always, you know, going to Shakodra Mustafi in November and going, do you want to sign this new deal, man? <laughs> Like that's the one. <laughs> you know, I. If we need another centre half, it's good on the ball. Maybe we wanted to protect our investment. <laughs> yeah, was, I think that was the idea. That was the idea. Like you're right. For three years, but they, they, no one had wanted to buy him. Was the problem? <sighs> that, that was not Stat DNA's finest hour. No. No, it wasn't. But again, he's a player that, as long as you don't spot the column that says, you know, mistakes leading to goals, <laughs> <laughs> then statistically, he's a pretty good centre-half. Mm. You know, he's he, he wins a lot of aerial duels, he covers ground, he's got a good pass completion rate, he's a reasonably progressive passer, but there isn't really a stat that says, fucking idiot. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Unfortunately, that's... Not all the time, but that's when, under pressure, that's what he became. He just wasn't someone who had the, 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 the strength of temperament to deal with being highly under pressure, and that and it would just fall to pieces. I mean, like, when even during his renaissance under Arteta, when he got Harry Kane and was like, I'm going to be really good for 75 minutes, and then I'm going to have a nervous breakdown for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> and you're like, where the fuck's that come from? I mean, yeah. we're not surprised because we've seen it from you before, but like within the context of recent form, like where the hell does that come from? And that for me was the moment it's like, okay, this guy is irredeemable because like even when his form's good and his confidence is high, he still just has moments of going, ah! just waiting for that to happen. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and a bit like with the transfer committee, you need some things to give you some trust. <laughs> um, not much else going on in transfer-tastic land. Uh, before we wrap up, anything from the Euros that's really stood out to you so far, bar the deliciousness of Aaron Ramsey and, and scoring goals and, uh, you know, those players have been linked to, and obviously Granite Xhaka's, uh, yeah, interesting follicle choices, which didn't seem to help him particularly in the last fix just. Well, I suppose for me, it's... I don't think you could sum up football's attitude towards their player's health any better oh. than seeing Christian Eriksen saved on the pitch by mm. quick reactions from Anthony Taylor, shock horror, let's doff our cap where it needs to be doffed because he did brilliantly and so did every medic yeah. there. And, you know, even the sight of when they were, you know, carrying Eriksen off the field to finish, they were trying to use these like blankets to try and cover him. Which, mm -hmm. if you if you were watching the game with no sound, you would be immediately accosted by the sight. That's what they do with dead horses, mm -hmm. you know. And two Finnish lads realised this immediately and lobbed two massive Finnish flags at them. So that when you when you see him being carried off, those things that they're holding up to cover them, they're Finnish flags. Mm -hmm. 
which is a fantastic touch, you know, and just yeah. shows the, the, the camaraderie. But then three days later in the France game, Benjamin yeah. Pavard gets knocked spark the fuck out and is let continue. Yeah. He and, said he was like unconscious for 15 seconds or something. He did like, not know where the fuck he was. No. No. And, no. and he was let play on. Like, what the, Like what are we doing, lads? Like, what, what are we doing? Like, are we... You could not want a better example of how to very well take good care of players. And then literally in the same week, you were given maybe the worst example of how to take good care of these players. Yeah. Like, it's bizarre how we went from so good to so bad in four days. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole, I mean, obviously it's a massive thing in American sport, the, the whole CTEs and head injuries and long-term ramifications of those. And of course, with some of the, old footballers from the 60s and 70s, you know, dying of dementia and stuff and, and being clearly linked to, to just heading the ball, let alone head clashes. Mm. Um, football's willingness to keep burying its head in the sand on this issue um, is going to lead to a lot of lawsuits. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what will change it. Like, that's what is changing it in the NFL. It's litigation. And you know. hockey as well, yeah. You know, so until I said, you know, the tragic case of Jeff Astle, who had, you know, you know, almost confirmed brain trauma when they checked, when they, when his family very kindly donated his skull to science and said, look, can you prove something here? And they're like, yeah, it looks like he's been smacked on the head 10,000 times. And they're like, yeah, you're, well, you're right. <laughs> he was by a leather ball. Like it's what, do you, like, how do you limit that in soccer? Well, I mean, with that, obviously, the, there is some improvement with the way that the balls are a bit different now, which helps a little bit. They're not going to carry the same weight. They don't contain carry water in the same way, so it's not the same force. Mm. There is still the issue about aerial challenges and collisions, yeah, not being dealt with seriously. I mean, the fact the fact is, you can if you if you try and limit heading, you're going to fundamentally change the sport. So mm. that's something that requires very careful consideration, requires a lot of people coming together on. But if you just to be dealing with collisions more effectively and also referees being a bit tougher on, you know, people going into aerial challenges that they shouldn't be. And standing under people's ground. Not that we're mentioning well, any names here, but, but yeah. But, but even like, you know, um, I, I mean, I thought it was, it was a clear, genuine attempt to play the ball, but... Goosens did take Pavard out with his hip, yeah, at almost head height. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a challenge where that player has to be at least booked and possibly consider something else because the way he's come in at that speed, when there's someone there, is dangerous. Now that's not a clear cut example. Yeah, there have been other examples in this tournament of, of people just clattering people in the air that, for challenges they can't win. Uh, it's just a free kick. Move along. Nothing to see here. No, that should be. That's got to be a yellow card. Yeah, at least because yeah. essentially you're endangering someone. Mm. It's one. It's so, one thing if two people are going equally, and it's a. But you know, we see all the time yeah. someone's up and someone comes in. Bang. It's yeah. same with the the trademark hurricane move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, but, exactly. But that's why it's banned in rugby and in basketball. Like the emphasis is put on the player to be aware of everyone around him. So if he's going to tackle, so like when they outlaw people, you know, tackling them in the air and the defense, they're going, yeah, well, how are we supposed to tackle him? 
they were told you'll wait for him to hit the ground. That's how you're gonna. That's how you're gonna tackle him. Mm-hmm. And if you try to take him while he's in the air, you are making a deliberate attempt to endanger his safety. I know you're only trying to get the ball and you're doing what your team wants to do, but he is in a defenseless position. It's how the NFL worded it. They said if a, if a, if a, if a receiver is in a defensive position, i.e., if he's got his eyes on the ball. Until he takes that ball into his chest, he is defenseless. There is nothing he can do. And if you hit him, it's 15 yards and a 15-yard penalty. And every week, there's a case of people giving out, oh, my God, this isn't football as we know it. Because a defender gives a wide receiver a really good tackle, a tackle that 20 years ago would have stopped that wide receiver from running that route again to catch the ball. Yet now we are having to litigate that out of the game because it is dangerous to the player's safety. And, you know, there are some of these challenges that, yes, they're born out of desire and commitment and every other masculine, you know, tendency that you want to come up with, but they are dangerous because of the possible ramifications of it. And none more clearly than the Harry Kane so much so that we don't have to describe what the Harry Kane is to everyone, because as soon as I say yes. it's the Harry Kane, we all know what I'm talking about. Mm. You can eliminate that in two seconds. You literally say, oh, did he stand? Defender, when he jumps, has the right to his silhouette underneath him. Until he lands on it, if you stand under it, it's a foul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. End of. End of. And if, you, and, then, and, and if you do it in a way which means you've had no attempt to prevent the other person from... Off. Themselves. Off. First, first time's a yellow, you know, do it in, and it's an offence. Also, what they need to do really with things like that in, in football, and this is a more general point, is a bit like the system they have in certain American sports, which is punishments for repeat offenders being greater. So, yes. like, if you get your three-match ban for sending off, you know... Of course, people you know people can get hurt innocently playing the game uh, with no one being at fault. But if if you're doing things that endanger other people and that's led you to getting it, whether it be sent off in a match or viewed afterwards, if you keep doing it, mm. the ban gets longer every time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Paul Scholes would have been banned for entire season. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing: make sure it doesn't count. Make sure that that band doesn't end at the end of the season. Oh, yeah, no, it's got to carry on. It's yeah. got to carry on. So, like, if you do it in 2022, it's a three-match band. If you do it again in 2024, it's a five-match band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's something they need to consider as well. Um, although I would say that's of a lesser priority than, than what we were talking about before. Yeah, and back to the head injuries, don't ask the player if he can continue. He will always say that he can. Yeah. I can continue. Yeah, he just. Which of you asked me that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just for his own safety and for everything, especially when they're introducing the concussion uh, substitutions and all that. Exactly. It should be normal to not allow a player to go go out with after a clash like that. I mean, if you've got um, if you've got a concussion substitute, then anyone. Basically, their substitution should be mandatory. Yeah. But with mm. the idea that once they're properly assessed, they could potentially come back if it's yeah. the, end of the game, you know, say half an hour later. Because brain injuries, like any internal injury, even if you've got an expert looking, they can't tell 100%. If right away. Yep. Yep. You know, even if they're really looking at you, 
without basically observing you for a period of time and maybe even scanning you into they they can't be sure you know and it's very hard to be sure when you're trying to do that when when everything else is going on and and, and in that particular example you know you could see that a couple of the France players are like you're letting this guy come back on like Varane was like what the fuck mm-hmm. yeah but then, like Anita says, players will do anything to yeah, make sure always. they get let back on. Like in the NFL, they they literally have it like a blue tent to the side of the pitch, and if you are deemed that you need a CTE check or you need a, a concussion check, they'll bring you in there, and you're made pass a test, you know, cognitive test, basically, you know, what's your name, what date is it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and it's based on the answers you give when you're okay. Mm-hmm. So they take the test in the middle of June, but what players are doing is failing the test mm-hmm. in June when they're healthy. So that so way, they can... when they take the test when they're hurt, it matches the results go. that they give mm-hmm. to you and, they, and they're let back on. <laughs> like this is this is the scale that we're dealing with here and you know this is why athletes are athletes and we're commentators because we don't have yeah. that gene in our head that goes we have to play we have to play we have to play yeah, this is why the Denmark played against against Finland yeah because from the later when what UEFA offered them was to yeah. and what or and what happened? play now and yeah. or play the next day and I I was really expecting them to go on the next day and you know yeah, but what happened? What happened when they had a night to sleep on it? They all came out and they said, "What the fuck did you make us do that for?" Yeah, yeah. Every one of them. Cashier Michael came out and he said, "We should never be meant to play that game." Yes, on the night of the game, they were all said, "Yeah, we want to play." It. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's shock. That is just you know, that is just mental shock. You know, yeah, just delayed. You know, yeah, when you're in a situation where you've been through trauma, you revert to doing what you feel comfortable to try and get through that. And of course, football players feel most comfortable doing playing football. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's for so many of them, it's a safe space in a, in a complicated world. Um, but also for UEFA to try and pressure them into making that decision at that point, I thought was, I understood from a scheduling reason why it'd be difficult, but it was disgusting. Um, you know, it'd been very easy for them to just say, look, given that they had the option of doing it the following day, yeah. um, that, should, that should have been the starting point. And then if that wasn't doable, then they have to find another way around it. But that should, you know, to expect them to go straight back up there when basically they've gone through experience of thinking that one of their best friends has died and, you know, and they don't know for some time whether he's going to live or not or if he's paralysed or broken forever. I mean, that's, that's just... It, yeah, it's really. It, it, yeah, I instantly remembered when Eduardo got injured, how our players looked, how they were shocked, and how it was. It influenced the whole season afterwards. Yeah, totally, totally. But um, I mean, and this was like ten times worse. Yeah, very much so. Um, only other thing I wanted to draw attention to the Euros to try and end on a more positive note is a uh, player that we were linked to, but definitely aren't getting now, uh, Locatelli. <laughs> Uh, getting two lovely goals for a surprisingly entertaining Italy team. Is that really Italy? I mean, just, there have been. I have seen people saying that they might be uh, like favourites for it because you're always thinking of France, obviously the top. Maybe Portugal because they won in the last. Uh, Belgium because they are first in the uh, rankings and all that. England because it's always coming home and stuff <laughs> like that. And 
but then Italy, yeah, they always, you know, somehow there you can always see, uh, maybe they will come come out and sneak a few one nil wins and all that and just go through and kind of get to high. But they are really entertaining. They are really fun to watch. And it's really from the uh, anthem singing before the match starts mm-hmm. to the end of the match. It's just really, really fun to watch them. Yeah. I mean, they beat. <laughs> I mean, they, they beat. They beat Turkey, who were as offensive as butter. Yeah. Like who just who had no attack at all, and then they played Switzerland, who were somehow worse. So you know, like that. Yeah, but still, they were unbeaten in the qualifying stage, and they scored thirty-four goals. I was. I didn't know that in that data. I was looking before before when they won this, and it was like that's more than three goals per match. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they, they've barely lost a game in quite quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, After they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Yeah. Well, basically, they, they got rid of the idiot who ruined that qualifying campaign. <laughs> yeah. How to manage football in general. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but also, they've got a clear plan. And what's so different to so many Italian teams is, you know, we always associate Italian football with being conservative quite slow and obviously mm-hmm. you know they do have some defense elements the quill still within their dna but this is a team that plays with intensity and pace yeah which is not something you see you know, like you haven't seen for a long time from the Italy team even when they've had the talent to do it and they've actually got less elite players than a lot of italian teams beforehand but they're yeah, that's playing true. in a way as a team as a team, but also just they've embraced a, a different mindset. You know, Italian football, right back to its roots, has always had this, has always been battling against its own inferiority complex, which for some reason thinks we've only won the World Cup three times. We're, we're going to lose to everyone. No, oh God, we've got to make sure that we just stop it all going wrong. And there's all kinds of, you know, long, complicated national identity things you can dig out of that to get out of that. But this is the first time in a long time I've seen an Italian team that seems to abandon that as a default. No, of course if they finally sign themselves playing France or Germany, or then that default might kick in again. But just the players they're picking means they're still going to maintain playing at a high energy, energy level than we normally see, because, you know, the guys they've got, particularly in the in the front four or five in the, at the pitch, and then, in fact, their wingbacks, they just run all day. <laughs> they're incredible fitness levels, those players, you know, whether it be Barella, whether it be... Uh, you know, in, Immobile, the most inappropriately named striker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, Insigne, Berardi to a degree, the, you know, um, Spinazzola, they're just like, they go. And, mm. and it's really refreshing just to see an Italian team marry their always tactical and technical ability with just some vim and vigour. Uh, yeah, and, and the general thought of... Uh, Serie A, which I think that you also mentioned in, in this podcast that they are, it's it's a much less intensity league and all of that. It's always you know in in your mind that yeah, this is Serie A. Players go there later later in their careers, you know. To uh, it's not that challenging, but I think I saw today that the, the most goals were scored by the players from Serie A at Euros so far. Yeah. Well, they've all been able to, you know, rest up during the season. <laughs> no, but the thing is, I think about Italian football is like the the elite teams in Serie A, you know, whether it tend to be incredibly good. <laughs> but there's a lot of mid-table table teams in Serie A who play a bit of walking football. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But yeah, but I expected time. more from from our Serie A star Marcelo Brozovic, who was really oh he was I awful think, awful against England. I mean, it's very disappointing. But yeah, when he was taken off. He looked like he wanted to walk into the sea. Uh, <laughs> just had a bad day off. I was just waiting for him to get second yellow. Well, I mean, it, it, Croatia looked like a team which was they've been for the last couple of years, which is past their peak and not quite sure knowing how best to how best to reinvigorate a team when their next wave of players aren't quite ready yet. Mm. Yeah, that's what I've been saying to everyone was like, oh, Croatia flop of the tournament, the, the disappointment, the shock and all that. It's, it's not. If you've been watching it, we have been playing the same thing for even, even at the World Cup. I mean, we had like one proper match where we were really fantastic against Argentina and then the others were, yeah, okay. And it's it's a really a big problem, big struggle. And I'm scared to think what will happen when Modric retires, probably after these Euros, because God, he, he's still he's amazing. He's still class. He just, he, the only thing is against England that showed that he can't quite get around the pitch quite as much as three years ago. You know, he's still pretty good at it, but mm-hmm. I noticed there were, bits in the game where he was kind of taking a bit of a breather in a way that he wouldn't have done. Uh, but, I mean, he was still like, oh, this guy's the best player on the pitch, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, by a distance. Um, but, unfortunately, yeah. some of the other guys' level is not what it was. And uh, no strikers, it's just... Uh, yeah, and no strikers. And no stri- but then, you know... Crazy. I think it should be enough for Scotland and Czech Republic. I, I hope so, I think, but... But I mean, Croatia, you know, this is the thing, anyone that says Croatia are flopping, it's like you you do realise to what degree they outperform how they should be doing in every tournament and every qualifying since basically they've been an independent country. This this is a country where you could fit nearly three of Croatia in London. Yeah, 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 I was just uh, last week, Bugles was checking the data and all that. In 2019, we had. 993 registered football players. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and, they, and they could legitimately have two World Cups if it wasn't for, yeah. you know, last year's second half. <laughs> and, you know, Lillian Teram only scoring his two international yeah. goals in a hundred and odd caps yep, yep. in a World Cup. And, and maybe I, I still keep saying that maybe the, the Euros in 2008 where we lost in quarterfinals to Turkey after... Scoring and leading in 119th minute and then conceding in 122nd oh, and then yeah. going out on penalties. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't sound more English if you tried. Any- <laughs> 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 you remember- it was a slime village team. It was really, oh, still, that one still hurts. So I mean, just to put it into context, uh, China's football team's crap and their population is 350 times the size of that of Croatia. Yep. <laughs> I just thought I'd put that. <laughs> uh, not not that China in the Euros. Uh, so, and, I mean, because this is the first time we probably talked about the Euros on this podcast. Uh, just before we finish, uh, who do we think uh, predict our final four teams, and then who do we think is going to win overall? Ooh. I think it's it's tough because I really suck at you know remembering who goes where and who. I could say there are four teams that could play each other in quarterfinals or semifinals, and then it's it's impossible. But from what I've seen now, I think that 
France are still the top favorites because against Germany it wasn't really fantastic, but I think that they didn't even put a, in highest gear or and all that. Just you know, it was enough to play uh, as much as they did. Obviously, Italy now really looking fantastic, and I still think that Belgium might might go go far because they are a really good team all together. I was a bit disappointed for for Denmark, but then. Uh, the circumstances that, that they were uh, yeah. faced now made it difficult to you know live up to the dark horse that some some of some people call them and the fourth i won't say england because i don't want to say <laughs> i don't know maybe hmm. Spain, not not so sure. Maybe they, maybe Netherlands because they have been away for a while. They have a good, exciting team. I think that they are leading at the moment as well. So yeah, maybe them. yeah. So my 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 predictor is already looking like it's full of craters and bomb sites and everything. Like I had Ukraine get to the semis. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I had I had Ukraine and Russia meeting in the quarterfinal. Just, <laughs> Just because I like chaos and For shits and giggles, huh? Yes, and, <laughs> and the potential of World War Three. You know, especially especially with Ukraine putting a map of Crimea in the middle of their home shirt, which was perfect. You know, that just Fantastic, just the thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had England, Ukraine in the semi, and I I had Belgium, Portugal in the other semi. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, because I if France finish second in their group, they get England. Yeah. Who will top their group? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had England beating France and then England-Portugal in the quarters, England-Ukraine in the semi, and then England-Portugal in the final. Oh, couldn't be worse yeah. for me. I, was, <laughs> I can't stand either of those teams. I mean, I, 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 don't, I haven't quite worked out the bracket, but I think the teams uh, I, I would have had um, Portugal-France if they can avoid each other. From here on in, um, they will, and the and the Netherlands. It's possible one of those might not be possible, and, and, and if they're going to exclude each other, then I might have Belgium as as my other. I can't remember exactly how the layout works, but those are the teams that for me they're all the, Belgium and Holland are the ones that I think are most likely to fall by the wayside because they have <laughs> slightly cack defenses, mm. <laughs> um, but. Cat defence in an international tournament is generally not quite as damaging as the Spanish-German problem of having no centre forwards. <laughs> yep. I mean, I have to say, Germany against France second half was like archetypal Giroud's first season, Arsenal huffing and puffing with a bloke who wasn't <laughs> quite at the level yet and not really knowing what to do against someone who just scored and thought, yeah. Yep. And, and, and I have to say, it was... Typical France as well. Deschamps being something more conservative than he should. Mbappe looking like a genius, but not quite getting the rewards that his play deserves. And uh, Pogba doing sweet FA, except for something brilliant that led to a goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Kante obviously being in five different positions at the same time. At the same time, yeah. He's just amazing. Wow. I mean, yeah, I would love it if Kante, even though he plays Chelsea, I'd love it if he got the Ballon d'Or this year, because I think that kind of player is so underrated. And I think that his, he just, you know, when he's on form, he just makes any team he's in so much better. Um, and he's apparently a very nice man. So, <laughs> right. Okay. I think that's it from us listeners. Uh, 
if any of you want to ask our opinion about anything, do feel free to get in touch with us at, at Daily Can on Twitter. We'd be more than happy to invest what time we have into investigating uh, various different bits and bobs, whether that's being statistical deep dives on players that we're linked to, or just even, you know, the simpler method of looking at loads of YouTube videos. Uh, we'd be happy to undertake that on your behalf. But um, nothing to say for me, except for thanks you again, as always, to Anita and Stephen. No bother at all. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, thank you for listening. If you got this far, well done. Have a biscuit or something equally treat-like for yourself that is preferably uh, not too unhealthy. And have a wonderful week. Enjoy the Euros, wall-to-wall football, uh, but without having to have the pain of Arsenal uh, making you give uh, heart attacks about... uh, Well, I shouldn't say that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Anyway, enjoy the football without having the consequence of anything about Arsenal and uh, take pleasure from the fact that this might be the last tournament that we have to pretend to want Switzerland to do well for the benefit of Granit Xhaka. (laughs) Take care, everyone. Have a good week. Good luck. Bye.